Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by International Boxing Hall of Famer and legendary trainer Teddy Atlas. Teddy, month six of quarantine. How are you holding up? Oh, holding up good. I mean, I see you're, you're surfing. Are you surfing? Uh, Fantasizing. Okay, well... <laughs> You have that ability to do that. You push a button and you get virtual <laughs> reality. I know the walls move in your house. I, I know I'm even afraid to ask you, you know, what could be possibly behind the walls if you push one of those several buttons that you have uh, underneath your desk. But kind of like a James Bond. I always feel like I'm talking to James Bond when I... Uh, when I speak with you, but everything's good. Thanks for asking. I have my grandchildren living at the house with me and my wife, my daughter, her husband, and two of our grandchildren, which is, you know, we're blessed to be able to have them here. And of course, I miss my grandson in California, but soon to be in Las Vegas, because my son, of course, works for the Raiders, and they're moving out to Vegas. Uh, so I'm going to have to get, you know, quarantine or no quarantine, we're going to have to get out to Vegas, you know, Ken? Yeah. To, to see my grandson out there too, but everything's good. I, I just, uh, I hope everybody in the world is good. I hope everybody is staying as safe as they can, as healthy as they can, and, um, and caring about, you know, the ones close to them, taking care of them, and hopefully caring about everybody in this world. That would make the place a lot better, so... I'm ready to talk about boxing. It's, uh, I believe that we're all in a fight. Uh, I believe life is about a fight. It's just a matter of what do you fight for and uh, how hard do you fight? Yep. Well, we've got some good boxing news to talk about, but before we jump into the boxing, I just want to discuss quickly, there was a huge UFC show this weekend again. Uh, UFC just keeps marching on. We had um, Stipe Miocic defending his title against Daniel Cormier. Hell of a fight. Those guys definitely personified what uh, I think fighters are and what fighting looks like. And uh, I think you feel the same way. But tell me what you thought about that heavyweight tilt. It's the way a trilogy should be. Thrilling Manila, baby. You know, Ali and Frazier, two greats went at it. Trilogy. Uh, you had two greats in the MMA world and the UFC world, you know, going at it. Uh, arguably, uh, Cormier, from everything I understand, I don't profess to be an expert in the MMA. I just admire it, and I just appreciate good fighting and people that not only know how to fight uh, and have longevity and have paid their dues and have proven themselves, but people that know how to behave like champions and like fighters. And these guys know how to do that. So uh, Cormier, by all consensus, may be the greatest heavyweight champion of all time in the, uh, in the MMA world, uh, or at least, at least uh, if not the greatest heavyweight, I'm sorry, he was a light heavyweight. He moved up to heavyweight, but one of the greatest MMA fighters, period. Yeah, at one point he had both a light heavyweight and the heavyweight title. Yeah, I mean, that's extraordinary. That that makes him a special guy. I mean, that's like a Michael Spinks winning a light heavyweight title and then or Michael Moore going up to win a heavyweight title. That's pretty damn good. I mean, if you want to go back in the history of my sport, our sport, boxing, God, you go back to the, to the 
20s or the late 1800s, you had a guy named Bob Fitzsimmons. He was a middleweight, light heavyweight, and heavyweight champ. Pretty damn good. I know it was different in those days because the separation of weight wasn't as great, but still, pretty extraordinary. And these guys have put themselves in that kind of class. That's why I use that kind of example of history to talk about them because they put themselves in that kind of class. I mean, Miocic, Miocic, how do you pronounce it? Miocic. Yeah, Miocic. I mean, he's the guy that I meant to say at the beginning that is considered now for the people that know a damn lot more about it than I do, being a consensus all-time great heavyweight champion uh, in MMA and UFC history. and then, of course, as I said, Cormier, one of the great MMA fighters ever, period. The third time, it's the way to do it. Go out, you know, go out special. Hey, guys, before we jump in, in, into things today, I just want to give a quick shout out today to today's sponsor, Athletic Greens. Uh, the all-in-one daily drink to support better health and peak performance. Even with a balanced diet, it's difficult to cover all of your nutritional bases. That's where Athletic Greens will help. Their daily drink is like nutritional insurance for your body that's delivered straight to your door. I love this stuff. As I've told you many times before, I take it every single day. I take it with me when I travel, especially during COVID times. You want to make sure your immune system is as healthy as possible. And uh, that's not a sales pitch. That's what I genuinely believe. Like I said, I take this every day and the listeners of the show will know that. These guys spent 10 years with top nutritionists and doctors to create this formula. It's made from 75 whole food sourced ingredients. It has vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, and antioxidants. This is literally all you need to stay on top of your immunity. With 12 servings of fruits and vegetables, no need for multivitamins, whatever you're taking, this has you covered. When you try Athletic Greens through our podcast, they're also going to give you up to a year's supply of vitamin D for free. And vitamin D is critically important during COVID. People who've really suffered with COVID have found to be very deficient in vitamin D. So, again, not a sales pitch. I take this vitamin D every single day. So whether you're looking to boost your energy levels, support your immune system, or address or address gut health, now's the perfect time to try Athletic Greens for yourself. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash atlas, A-T-L-A-S, to claim the special offer today. Receive free vitamin D wellness bundle with your first purchase that's a one-year supply of vitamin d as an added value when you try athletic greens you'd be hard pressed to find a more comprehensive nutritional offer anywhere again that's athleticgreens.com slash atlas additionally i'd like to give a special shout out to cameo check it out at cameo.com search for teddy atlas Teddy be happy to send you a recorded video message to to you or whoever you might be might be willing to send a message to. Again, cameo, check it out. Go out special. And they went out special. It was uh what made it even more extraordinary to me, Ken, was all these platitudes that I'm gonna throw at them. I'm throwing it at a guy 41 years old and 38 years old. Wow. Holy cow. I mean, they did what we watched, and they're at that place. They're not spring chickens, baby, <laughs> you know? And um, and they did that. And again, what do I use as a comparison? The Thrill in Manila, you know, the, the trilogy. Uh, just 
just the way that the way that you should do it. And I thought I would have made it a draw. I didn't want anyone to lose. That's all you need to know about what I thought. I didn't want no one to lose that fight because I didn't think anybody did lose it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think technically they gave it to the right guy, Miocic, uh, because he landed probably the harder blows and he, you know, he had a little more separation uh, in the fight. But I'll tell you, the way Cormier came back, he was boxing the pants off of Miocic, who's the supposed to be the better striker. He's taller, he's longer. He was a Golden Glove champion from Cleveland, I believe. Yep. So he's got more back, right? He's got yeah. more background in boxing. So he's supposed to be the better striker and Cormier the better grappler and he, a two-time Olympian. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. And then you got, you got Cormier outboxing, like I said before, boxing the pants off off of Miocic and he's unbelievable the way he's boxing in and out using his legs pop shotting and then he gets caught at the end of the second round and it turns everything around and the way he got caught where it was set up he didn't get lucky Miocic went after him and he acted like he was going to throw a hook downstairs and there was a reason for Cormier to react to it because in their second fight, he hurt him in the body a lot. And even mm-hmm. in this fight, because you could see that Cormier's body moved up from light heavyweight. He's not a real heavyweight. His body was a little soft. So he he respected that he might get hit in the body. So I give I I I recognize things like that when you use your cerebral, when you see a guy under those intense situations in those flames, you know, in the ring, under fire, and he's able to think and say, Okay, I know that he's gonna respect me, go to the body, so I'll fake to the body. I'm talking about Miochik, and then instead he winds up going up top, and then as as Cormier is looking to escape off of the ropes with, you know, seconds left in the round, what, is, what does Miocic do? He switches to the southpaw stance and he throws a right hook off of the lead right foot. He did a Tyson. Tyson used to do that. Tyson used to punch off the wrong foot. He suddenly, he'd get a guy going backwards because he knew they would. They were trying to escape his pressure, his power, his presence, his danger. And as he would get them going backwards, he would add another couple feet to his extension by suddenly switching over to the right foot and throwing a right hook where it was, you know, obviously unexpected. It was, it was coming from a position that he normally doesn't come from. And he would catch guys on the back end. He would catch guys pulling out, trying to get away. And that's exactly, you know, a little technical mistake there for a second because striking is the same as boxing, same technique requires, same, same theories, same, same ideas. You know, I don't have to be an MMI guy to see that what he did. And Cormier... As he was going out, he gave he went out a little fat along the ropes. And he gave a little bit of landscape where 
instead of going out probably tied it to the shoulder of Miosic and going around them, he went out a little parallel against the ropes, like straight out. And he gave that landscape, he gave that opportunity, that space where Miocic could get a shot in. And he took advantage. He set it up beautifully. He landed the, again, out of a southpaw position. He landed the right hook. He drops Cormier. And Cormier goes back to the corner. You know, he jumps on him after he drops him. He survives. He goes back to the corner. And Ken, I don't know if anybody picked up on this, but, and, and they got the, they have tremendous commentators there, or analysts and commentators. They really do. They got guys that, well, the kind of guys you're supposed to have that know what the freak they're talking about. <laughs> but he goes back to his corner, and I can hear him say to one of his cornermen, Did I get dropped? He didn't know. No, but that, that happens in our business sometimes, yeah. Ken. That means the guy's out on his feet. That means he's fighting on instincts. That means he's special. That means he's a, he earned the right to be called a champion. He's out on his feet. He didn't even know he got dropped. So here he is. He's concussed, in other words. Mm-hmm. And here he is where he gets out of the corner. He goes back and... He fights himself back into the fight. It was tough. He was still gone. You could still see that he wasn't there. He wasn't all there in the third round. But he survived it. I think that probably Miocic could have jumped on him a little more. Could have probably jumped on him a little bit more. But he bluffed his way through Cormier, the way a great fighter does. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really let him know. He, 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 makes him conf- he confuses the guy who hurt him by saying, wait a minute, is, is, is he this hurt? Should I go for bloke or maybe he's, maybe he's not hurt? Mm-hmm. That he's behaving the way you're supposed to behave. Not letting your opponent know that you're hurt. And he gets through the round and then, and then he finds a way to come back in spots. And it was give and take. Uh, it was a grind out fight at the end, the last two rounds. Uh, especially the last round. They grinded it out. And again, all the respect in the world for both of them and for Cormier moving up from light heavyweight, uh, 41 years old, he gets dropped into early in the fight, the end of the second round. He's, he doesn't know that he was dropped. So he's not even together. He's, he's, mentally, he, he's obviously still out of it. And he fights through all of that and makes it, makes it a historic fight. Uh, he makes it the way, a, again, two greats should go out. And the way that a guy that's going to retire should go out. Going out, performing like somebody special. So I thought it was, I thought those little things in between there that I just talked about made it really, really special for me. To, to see what he was overcoming. I thought during the course of the fight, I thought that, uh, you know, Cormier, obviously, he's supposed to have the edge on the floor. He's the shorter guy. I always talk about fighting is about geography. Where, who controls geography to their best advantage for what they have physically as assets? 
should they be what do they have the assets of have an advantage inside or the assets like Miocic to have the advantage outside with length and with striking ability and with height you know so I thought that you might have saw Cormier wanna you might have thought you'd see him try to get inside and get to the floor a little more but there's so many things going on uh, he's got us he's he's 41 years old I think he's conscious that he's got to save the fuel tank. It takes a little petrol, I would guess, to get a guy to the floor, a guy that big. So I would guess that he's thinking that too. And like I said, he did a marvelous job, a, a superb job in that second round. He's outboxing a guy, the guy who's longer, the guy who's taller, you know, uh, just ex- extraordinary. And And getting the guy to give up his height because – Rightfully so. The commentators are saying, you know, that Miocic should get a full extension, be on the outside, keep him at the end of his punches. He's longer. But in the second round when he was boxing his ears off, Cormier, he was getting him to give up his height so he could pot shot him, moving, using his legs, getting him to come in, bop, 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 pot shot him, then move again. Boy, it was it was an interesting fight. Uh, they left it all in the ring in the cage. I thought it was great. I, I, and now, of course, it sets up a very interesting situation. Cormier retiring, uh, Miocic, who now, as the commentators said, and, and they know the business, you know, Rogan and all of them, they said consensus-wise, he is probably the greatest, or not even probably, the greatest heavyweight champion ever in the UFC and in MMA, Miocic, and now he's going to fight probably the number one contender who we had on our air, yep. Francis and Ganu, who has already, he's already beaten Nganu, and Ganu has earned the right to now be the mandatory, the number one contender. He's a, as I say, punches are born, baby, then they're, they're not made, and that's Nganu. I mean, you, he's one of those special power guys that has, you know, he's got that, he's got the lightning in his fist, the thunder in his fist. And now he's positioned himself to get a chance to revenge the loss that he had to Miocic. And I think that you got to like his chances. Why? And again, that, that's not my world, but I'm going to give you my take f- from my perspective, from my world, from what I've been looking at, is that Nganu was much less experienced when he fought Miocic the first time. He's much more experienced now, much, much more mature as a fighter, understands what it understands what it takes to be at that level, understands he belongs at that level, which is very important to for somebody to know. A lot of people don't realize that. They don't know till they know. He knows he belongs at that level. And Miocic is 38 years old, and these tough fights take something out of you. Yeah. You leave something in the... I always say you leave something in the ring. Both guys almost left their eyeballs in the cage. Both suffered very bad pokes. But that's another thing, that... On top of everything, you talk about behaving like a champion, behaving like a warrior. Here, here, Cormier, they both got eye poked. When Cormier gets it worse, 
It turns out he had a, I, I think a torn cornea. Yes. A cornea. Yep. I believe, right? That's what's being reported by Ariel yeah, Helwani. That's what's being reported. But you could see his eye was dead. You could, you could see his see eye it. was going in a different direction. It was almost like the the muscles and, that control it were out of whack. And it, was it was really dark. bad. Very. It was dark. It was like there was no light there. It was like somebody turned the light out, but then behind the light, behind the eye, and and he goes and he fights the rest of the fight blind. He he said in the interview, "I couldn't see nothing. I still can't. There's nothing there." And so he fights. A good portion of that fight, blind in one eye. Again, you talk about, you just talk about the intangibles. You talk about it's one thing to know how to fight, but it's another thing to go in there when the moment is there, and when the devil is knocking at your door, and and saying, "Hey, you sure you want to be here? You can't <laughs> even see. Are you sure you want to be here?" Yeah, get out of here. Get away from my door. Get away from my door. Because I care about what I am now and what I am tomorrow. And that means that right now I have a choice of who I am tomorrow. And I know what that means. That means fighting even though I'm blind. That, me, I, that means making that choice now. And not everyone makes that choice. Not everyone's capable of making that choice. And that's why Cormier is being called one of the great, one of the great fighters of all time in that world. That's why. Right there, if you, needed to, if you needed anything else to understand it. The only thing I would add to it is I think it's time for the UFC to think about covering up those fingers, to find a way. I know that that's that thing with the loose hands and, you know, you have almost no protection and you can do the grappling and everything else on the, on the floor. I get it. I get it. But we don't want blind warriors. You know, they, they, they risk enough. They risk enough. And, and I admire the hell out of them. I don't have to say that no more. And they do a great job, and White does a great job running that organization. I just think, who am I to tell them what to do? I'm not telling them what to do. I'm just saying at this point, in the evolution, it's always an evolution. In the evolution of their sport, of their of their great sport that that they've come so far, and only certain people can do it. It's like when you see that commercial with the Marines, the few, the 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 what's that the commercial? Proud. The few, the proud, the Marines. Not everybody could go in that octagon and be a freaking MMA fighter, a UFC fighter whatever. So yeah, that doesn't change. But at this point, if you can find a way to contain these fingers somehow with some kind of web material, maybe where they can still, where it controls it enough and keeps a cover on them where you can eliminate a lot of the, you can eliminate the poking to a, to a good degree. If you can just do something in that area, and where you still got enough flexibility to grapple on the floor. I, I, I don't know exactly what the answer is, but I think it's worth exploring at this point because, um, because of, this ain't the first time it's happened. It's, it's a, I know there's a lot of liabilities when you get in that cage. There's a lot of liability, possible liabilities when you get in the ring in my sport. 
but if you can control some of them, I think it's worth doing that. And, uh, you know, you still got everything else you got that that sport tests you with. It tests you with everything. Uh, I don't think it needs to test you with detaching a retina or, you know, or something in that area. I think Trevor Whitman, one of the trainers out there, very famous high-profile trainer, has developed some gloves that may have some some kind of solution for that problem. Um, I think he's been on Joe Rogan talking about his, the gloves he's developing. But another example of someone who had to face adversity and didn't do quite as well was uh, Sugar Shane O'Malley fought um, Cheeto Vera in the co-main. Uh, Cheeto Vera gave him a leg, lower leg kick, looked to like um, basically cause a malfunction in his in some kind of nerve i've seen it before with a guy like henry cejudo it happened before but he was able to overcome it and win basically it looks like the 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 nerve that connects the leg to the foot short circuits and the foot just becomes flopping around it starts to flop around and it basically flopped under him at one point and, and it looked like he almost twisted his ankle cheeto vera saw it eventually was able to jump on him and stop him uh shortly thereafter and um very interesting fight, but credit to Cheeto Vera for knowing to go for that kick. Step uh, like you said on Twitter at some point. Step out as uh, as as uh, O'Malley was stepping in, caused a misstep, rolled his ankle, and that was the beginning of the end. What'd you see there? It's called being a veteran. It's called experience. Never, ever, ever, ever for you. I put an extra ever. Was <laughs> it you? Ever undervalue the importance of experience because no matter what your talent is, no matter how much younger you are, O'Malley was younger, you know, he's, he was 12 and 0 in MMA, 4 and 0 in the UFC, but you had a guy in Vera who's 15, 6 and 1 MMA, 14 and 5 UFC. I mean, he's got much more experience. He's been in much tougher fights so far. Uh, again, O'Malley's a young, talented guy. He's got that charisma. He's got that it factor, you know, along the lines of a McGregor. Obviously, he hasn't gotten there yet. But as an entertainer, as a promoter, as a salesman, at the end of the day, you got to be able to fight. He's shown that he can do that. And this is the toughest opponent he's had to face. And again, he was the favorite. He goes in there with a veteran. Never underestimate the value of that experience, having been through it, uh, being able to do little subtle things like we just talked about, where you could see the quicker O'Malley, the lighter-footed O'Malley, and the smaller O'Malley. He was a smaller guy. You could see that, A, part of his plan was he had to use his legs to keep the stronger, the bigger Vera off balance. So he's using his legs, and and he's keeping them off balance. And Vera sees that he's trying to set him up, you know, get that right angle where he can come in. And Vera didn't have to use his legs. He just had to step at the right time. And he's calm enough. And that's a talent, being calm. It's not just a word. That you're calm in an uncalm environment, that's a talent. It means that you've been there enough to not panic, not to overreact to things that other people would in that world, to be able to be comfortable in that world, to see things in that environment. And he saw that 
he was about to come forward. This was after the leg kick, Ken. And all of a sudden, what does Vera do? Bop. See, I got wheels on my chair. I like that. <laughs> Look. Pretty cool. Right? Let me do it once more. <laughs> That's what Vera did. He stepped out at the right time, and he made O'Malley take a misstep. Now, the foot was maybe already injured or the leg, but he made him take a misstep, and you could see it. He took a little misstep, and when they did the replay, you could see, you know, almost like a horse race. I'm not trying to make people, you know, animals, but these horses are great athletes in their own right, and and they obviously – their leg without their legs <laughs> they can't do anything and sometimes you see their misstep and a foot a flop and you can actually see his foot flopped when he took that misstep and again it was just a little subtle step out by Vera recognizing he was about to come come in and he threw him off stride he threw his rhythm off you know he he gets credit for that from me you know, he gets credit for that. I know it was unfortunate that O'Malley got hurt. I know it. And he'll get a chance to come back and, and show how special he can be. That's part of it in anything in life is dealing with those unfortunate situations with controversy, you know, uh, and, and how do you act? How do you, what do you do? How do you come back from it? You know, that, that's what tells the tale of what you're going to be. Uh, in life, in anything you do. So, again, O'Malley switches from lefty to righty, you know, using his legs. He got, again, to Vera's credit, he understood that O'Malley was going to look to get an angle and he was ready to keep him off stride. And and he he created that misstep. Um, it was, uh, again, you... O'Malley, you know, got taken away from him the most important asset that he that he that he needed to win this fight, his legs. Yeah. You, you could you could see that right away. I mean, his legs were a big part of his plan and his strategy uh to be able to win this fight. He's quicker, he's you know, he's more explosive off of his legs and Obviously, that got taken away from him and obviously changed the course, um, the course of the bout. Yeah. Well, that was uh, it was definitely a good card from the UFC again. Uh, let's jump into some boxing. Um, also, on Saturday night, we had David Benavidez against uh, Angulo. Um, Benavidez, just as a fighter, has been awesome. Um but he can't seem to get it together outside of the ring. He had a strip of the WBC once for um, cocaine violation and now misses weight by three pounds for this fight. Um, so disappointing because I think that that kid is, is as talented as anyone, a super middleweight, but he keeps shooting himself in the foot uh, and then he beat up Angulo and eventually stopped him. But uh, what do you think? Well, first of all, I think you don't have to be the Mason Kreskin to say what I'm about to say. He's going to have to move up to light heavyweight. I think uh, he's 23 years old. He's probably still filling out. Um, it's not like he's 28, 20, even 25. He's 23. He's still probably filling out. He's probably, I, I, I'm not going to say that 
I know his personal life that maybe he could have been more disciplined and hey listen you, you sign a contract to make a weight you're supposed to make it period but uh obviously you got to start looking at light heavyweight for two reasons one because of the weight that it might be a problem and two hey ken you kind of said it without even trying to say it but he's kind of wiping out the guys at super middle it's not like super middle is a, a is you know is a division that everybody's got their eyes on. I mean, there's some good fighters there, don't get me wrong. Um, and there could be some paydays there for him, uh, you know, where he could, I mean, you you got guys in there that he could fight, you know, what, who's it, Colin Smith, uh, uh, Colin Smith, Billy Joe Saunders from London. I guess Colin Smith, over in London, in England, you could always have a payday over there because, they they can really bring the fan. Well, now nobody can bring the fans in with the COVID. But I mean, normally, normally you go across the pond to our beautiful brothers and sisters over. Hello, hello, we miss you, we miss you. But you go over there, and you can sometimes make a bigger payday than you can here because you know they 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 come out sometimes more for the fights. Uh, they identify because there's not as many other sports grabbing their attention so you can build a guy up a little easier a little bigger sometimes in in england uh but so a callum smith a joe saunders uh you got plant over here khalid plant caleb you know, he hasn't really become caleb plant caleb yeah plant, he hasn't become big here yet but you know he's a nice nice fighter nice solid undefeated fighter but for me the paydays and the challenge is light heavyweights. I mean, that's that's the division that everybody recognizes. That's one of the most talent riddled divisions in boxing. I mean, you got now you got the welterweights. Oh my god, what you great talent there. You got the lightweights. Oh, I mean, unbelievable talent you got there. And you got the light heavyweights. You have tremendous talent. You got guys like Better BF and Bevel and, you know, all these guys uh, and uh, Ramirez. So I think he's going to have to start thinking for two reasons, from a business standpoint of maybe the maybe the bigger challenges, the bigger fights, maybe, and his body, if his body is telling him at 23 that, hey, you, you can't make 68 anymore, you know. So obviously he's got to think about the light heavyweight route. Looking at him in the ring on Saturday, I wouldn't exa I, I wouldn't say that he was the leanest guy I've ever seen. I mean, he definitely had some weight to lose there. His body looked very soft for a guy that big and athletic. But he also got um, Canelo floating between super middle and light heavy. That would be an incredible. If you fight. get lucky, if you, yeah, a hundred percent. If you get lucky and you hit the lotto, Canelo, uh, there's a tattoo on his head. Lot lotto winner, Vega. <laughs> Powerball. It's on. Yeah. I don't know if you see it. You can only see it in certain light. Yeah. But, but it's there. Mega Powerball. You know, <laughs> and it, it blinks sometimes. Everybody wants to get Canelo. So if he could, but there's no reason for Canelo to fight him. Nah, right? Let's I don't be think so. No. But I agree. if you could create a reason, if you could get fortunate enough to be in <laughs> to be in the sweepstakes for that for Canelo, 
Yeah, of course. Of course. That's where everyone gets paid. But um, just like in the old days, everyone, you know, if they fought Tyson, they were going to get paid. Back back before that, if you fought Ali, you're going to get paid more, you know. Uh, you're going to fight Mayweather, you're going to get paid more, you, you know. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 what... You know, it's the it's what happens in in any business. If you're gonna if you're gonna be able to fight the golden boy, you fought Deloy, he got paid more back in those days. You fought Pacquiao, he got paid more. People wanted to spar with Tyson because they were getting paid like three times more, <laughs> three times more money sparring than they, than anyone else got paid sparring. I mean, you you know, uh, not that they like the results of it maybe when they, <laughs> exactly. after they got out of camp, but they liked the dollar signs uh, that were being offered to go spar with Tyson that were not offered anywhere else in the universe. Yeah. But again, better Vitas, listen, he, first of all, as far as fighting, as you said, Angulo, he was just too young, too big, too strong, too good. And, and the Angulo fight should have been stopped earlier. The, oh, yeah. the the referee could have stopped it earlier. He didn't have to wait till it got back to the corner yeah. because he was taking too much punishment. And Definitely. it was one-sided. He was outgunned. I mean, did, did you ever watch the college football games, Ken? Where And Rob, I'm going to ask Rob to get this up. Would you ever see... When it used to be college football, I don't even know if we're going to have college football anymore. Yeah, it doesn't well, look not like this it. Year. But when the Oregon Ducks or a lot of these teams where they would send the signals on offense in with big poster, yeah. with big posters, right? Big pictures, they put yeah. The, yeah, they put the pictures up, you know, uh, the posters up on the sidelines, you know, uh, whatever, you know, whatever the play whatever the play that they that they that they wanted to be sent in uh they they did that and um you you know in in this in this fight i mean i it couldn't have been more obvious that it was just it was, you know that it was too big too strong too good form uh I mean, it was it was being told to you ahead of time, just like you're seeing a poster being held up. That hey, uh, you you knew what was coming. You you knew you knew something was. I mean, it was just a matter of time, and uh, I just. I mean, it was only only one guy was going to win that fight, and I give all the credit in the world to Angulo for showing the heart that he showed. But I think that the people in the ring could have seen those posters up a little bit the way you're supposed to see them and known that they had to be ready to stop to stop that fight. I like I like Benavides. Um I I like his the way he throws everything with bad intentions, everything, even jabs. I like his belief in himself. His attitude when he's in that ring of what he brings and how you're supposed to bring it, uh, and you, the way you're supposed to approach the sport. I, I like, you know, the way he behaves in the ring. Uh, the only thing I saw from a technical standpoint, they better correct, 
was, I don't know if you picked up on this or if anybody, I didn't hear the commentators, but when he goes back, when he disengages, see, I got these wheels, Ken, you know? <laughs> see? So when he would go back, when he disengages, first of all, he goes back straight in front of you, and second of all, he switches the feet the wrong way, and there's a delay, there's a, a situation where you're not balanced, you're not prepared. You, you have to watch the feet, and I watched his feet. And instead of going back with the right foot first, which is, he's orthodox, so his right foot is behind the left foot, the right foot should go back first. This way you don't compromise your stance and you don't lose time. You don't get an interruption. You, you go back in one movement, one clean movement, one. But he moves his left foot first and then he goes back. And it causes two things. It causes a delay and where his feet aren't really set under him. And then he goes back and then he goes to put his right foot back instead of the right foot going back initially. First, clean, with one step. He does this. These are the feet. Here's the, this is the front foot. This is the back foot. He allows the front foot, the left foot, to go back first. And he's out of position. And he's stagnated. He's vulnerable. And I watched it. And I saw him going back. I said, somebody's going to catch him. They better correct that in the gym where when he goes back, the right foot goes back, not the left foot first, because that's just one of those moments you're giving a guy a free shot. And in this business, you don't want to give the guy a free shot. I almost wonder if he was doing that because he was just literally punching a gulo all over the ring. Like you said, he'd open up on him, hit him with a flurry of punches, then take disengage, do some recovery. I almost wondered if he was just like, had complete contempt for Angulo and just like, ah, let me just be lazy here and just kind of like, waddling through it instead of just getting him out of there and being super disciplined. I mean, he showed his lack of discipline by missing weight by three pounds. I mean, especially with the WBC, I mean, you know, from being in camp and, and I know from being in camp with, um, with a a Alex Vosdick, they're checking your weight every day for like a week before the fight. I just seems crazy that you would miss by three pounds, but I wonder if you think if that had anything to do with that laziness in the ring of just like kind of making mistakes because he just, had contempt for his opponent. I know what you're saying. I we're human. Everyone's human. It shouldn't be an excuse. It shouldn't be there. But sometimes things that shouldn't be there are there. I mean, that's what separates guys from the potential of being great and guys that become great. Um, those things. I get it, but I don't think so. I get what you're saying, and I can buy the theory of it. Because he was having his way, and sometimes when you're having your way, you take things for granted, and you get a little sloppy. You never should. Not in that ring. Not in that ring. Because one punch, bang, can change everything. And it does. And it has. And history has shown that it has. But it, I think it was just, it's a habit that's there. So whether or not it's because he's having his way, or he's in a tough fight where you can't afford to make any missteps or any mistakes or not cross your T's and dot your I's. It's there because it's a habit. It's been allowed to form as a habit. I recognize it as a habit and a bad habit that if he doesn't correct, someday he'll do it with the wrong guy. And guess what? Pop! 
<laughs> you know, again, I, I like him. I like better be I, uh, I mean, I like uh, Benavides. You still want to see him step up. You still want to see him in more competitive fights. Uh, he did what he needed to do. I give him credit for that. But you still want to see him tested, if you will, I guess, uh, because you want to see what he really is for sure. You, you, you think you know what he is, but you never know until you know, until a guy's there that's going to show that, bring that out, bring him down into those alleyways where you're going to find out. Bring him into those areas that you're going to find out. Um, and again, there are fights. There's definitely fights there for him at super middleweight. But if he if he feels that he can't make the weight and he has to go up, and, and I agree with you, it's probably a matter of discipline at this point in his life. Um, but only he knows what it takes to get down to that weight. Only he knows what he walks around that. So Agreed. And uh, next up, I want to talk to you about uh, Dillian White against Alex Povetkin coming up. And for the fans, we just had an uh, awesome conversation with Dillian White that we'll be posting on Thursday. If you're interested in hearing from him, super interesting guy. I think people will enjoy it. But what are you looking for in this one? This is a tough fight for, uh, for both guys, actually. Povetkin, he's old, 40 years old. He's been stopped only once uh, by Anthony Joshua, and he has a loss to Klitschko. But other than that, he's got a clean record, impressive resume Olympic gold medalist what do you think well first before I do that I'm gonna piggyback off for of what you just said and really I don't do this too often um because people want to do something they want to do it but and and of course I feel awkward sometimes because I'm pushing something that we're connected to that we want to push but I think you know me as being I hope you do, is being fairly honest, right? And um, saying what I believe and not saying it for any reason other than what I believe it to be and not for sale or to push something, to to hype something. I I don't do that. I, I really hold myself to, accountable to not doing that. But I really think, as Ken touched on, you should listen to this interview because – a lot of people don't know who Dean White is. And after this interview, you're going to know who he is. And I think you're going to be interested in following this guy. I think that it's going to give you an opportunity to say, I, I am so glad that I learned this about this guy because he's a guy now that I want to back or a guy that I want to follow or a guy that I want to see what he does in this future coming up where he's going to be in the mix of it because he is the mandatory and he will ultimately fight the winner of, of uh, Wilder and Fury. So, and he's in that position. But his story of how he got to where he's gotten to, the person he is, the man he is, his background, I'll tell you, it's pretty extraordinary. And I think he's a, I, I think he's a special guy. I, I, I really think he is. And again, I think that if you listen to the interview Thursday, as Ken just said, you'll be glad you did. You'll be glad that you got a peek into the life of somebody who I think is uh, deserves to be looked at. So having said that, Pavetkin, Pavetkin and Dean White. Well, 
I think what you touched on, Ken, that at the end of the day, the potential for Dillian White to be maybe too young, too big, too strong is there. But it, you know that old saying, but what's that first step It's so woozy? <laughs> you know like you're gonna be okay but what's that first step oh <laughs> could be a tough one and early on this Pavetkin former world champion I trained him so I know something about him former world champion former Olympic gold medalist from you know from Russia he he's nobody that you could just step over and not watch that first step because it can be a misstep. It can be a problem. Uh, he's, he's, he's a decent puncher. He's a good puncher. He's been a durable guy. Yeah, he's 40, 40. He's going to be 41, I think. Uh, and, but he's experienced as we talk about how important, like we talked about earlier with Vera and O'Malley. You know, O'Malley was taking that step. He's the younger guy, but the experience of Vera, it was there. It was there. Uh, you, yeah, you're older, but the experience counts for a lot. And But I think Dean White, I think there's something in this guy to be special. He's, he's raw still in certain areas, but he's come so far. He only had seven amateur boxing matches. He had kickboxing matches. You brought that up in the interview, which was magnificent. But... He's only had seven amateur fights, and to come to the heights that he's come to, I, I mean, I love his accomplishments. I love his physicality. He's 250 pounds, six foot four, somewhere in that area. Um, I love his gifts, his physical gifts, his ability, his talents. He's got great instincts. But what I love most of all, his attitude. Because here's a guy who's been the mandatory for since like 1912. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was even before you, Ken. That was, I, I mean, slightly. You look, you, and you look marvelous, by the way, marvelous. And your hair, I mean, you everything. You, you I got to do everything I can, Teddy. And on that surfboard, you, you look great on that surfboard. <laughs> I mean, really tremendous, tremendous. <laughs> So you make me feel better every time I'm, I'm, I get to see you. It's a privilege. And, <laughs> Thank you. And I appreciate it. So here is a guy that has the size. He has physical gifts. He's got good instincts. He only had seven amateur fights. He's got to learn on the job. And he's got the attitude, I'm going to learn on the job. I'm not just going to be navigated into position and fight set up fights, fight, as I said to him, truck drivers and, you know, and, and doormen, even though I know there's some tough doormen and truck drivers out there. So don't start attacking me. I, I know there are, but I'm, I'm just making a point. A lot of these guys just get moved into that number one position, but he gets there. They play games with him. They don't give him the title fight for about two years even though he's the mandatory. And they, and what does he do? Does he feel sorry for himself? No. Does he cry? No. Does he, does he stamp his feet up and down? You know, I didn't get what I wanted. You know, 
Like my grandson sometimes, and my grandson don't do it. He's beautiful. He don't really do it that much. Little, 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 little bit. But he's a kid. Mm -hmm. Did he behave like a kid? No. Did he make excuses? Oh, does that? No. Did he sit and get idle and fat and, and not fight and not take chances because he was the number one, even though they were playing games with him and avoiding him? He was the number one. He could have just sat back and just, you know, fought nobody and maybe fought real safe guys if he fought anyone. No. He took tough fight after tough fight after tough fight. Risky fights. You know what? In life, if you want to get somewhere, if you want to be special, there's a certain amount of risk that's involved. There is. There mm -hmm. is. And you got to believe in yourself and you got to take that risk. He took that risk. He believed in himself. He put his money where his he put his money where his mouth was. Yep. You know, he went out there. A lot of people say, "I believe myself." I, oh, oh I, 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 he did it. He took these fights. He took another one, Povetkin. It's another dangerous one. Yep. He don't have to fight this guy. He takes all these fights. Why? Because he knows he needs them to continue on that journey to be the best fighter he could be. He knows that sooner or later he's going to be in the ring with the guy for the title, and he better be as good as he can be. And this is the only way he knows how to get better, the only way that he knows that he can play his trade, that he can improve mentally, technically, physically by taking these challenges, that he wants to be the best fighter. He wants to know who he is. He wants to find out who the fuck he can be. Now, I'm not going to say that he's going to make you forget about Ali or he's going to make you forget about Tyson or whoever your favorite. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there's something, something to be said about what I'm saying about this guy with that attitude in 2020, where a lot of times people don't, oh, no, you owe me something. Oh, no, uh, I'm not fighting him. Uh, you see it all the time, whether in life or whether in boxing. Oh, no. Uh, uh, why should I fight him when I can go and make the money? But he's fighting these guys. He still wants to make the money, but he's fighting these guys because he knows it will give him the, what he needs to be the best he can be, to be ready when the moment comes, when, that, when they knock on your door in the dress room, say, hey, you ready? Come on out. Come on out. Mr. Wilder, Mr. Fury, Mr. Joshua, whoever, they're waiting for you in the ring. Come on out. He wants to know that he's done everything to be the best he can be, to be developed as much. And he's, he's actually taking what they threw at him as a negative that a lot of people would have taken as playing games with him, mandatory, and they don't let him fight for the title. He's made it into an opportunity. An opportunity, he could have done what I said and felt sorry, or he could have done what he did and say, I'm just going to keep fighting, guys, and I'm going to keep winning, and I'm going to keep getting better, and I'm going to get to the top of the mountain. I'm going to get to where I want to get to, and this is my journey, and this is the way I'm going to do it. So I, I like the guy, and I like him for all those damn reasons. And he's still raw. He's still wet behind the ears. He's still green. You can see it. Sometimes you're not sure of his identity. Sometimes his feet aren't set where he can use that size the way he should. Sometimes he's coming forward where maybe he should be set. Sometimes maybe he's going backwards where, you know, again, his feet should have been under him. And, and he, 
he should have been in a different kind of position uh, where he understands when he gets in the ring exactly what his identity should be, but he, he's got good instincts and he's got good physicality, really good talent. Um, he's been on the floor. He's behaved like a fighter by getting off the floor to win. The only time he didn't win is the one time he got stopped by Joshua. That's his only loss. But that was five years ago. He had he only had 16 fights. You know, he's had, what, I don't know how many, 10 fights, 12 fights since then. Um, yeah. I think he's fought some really since, good guys since then, too. Against really good opposition. He's become a better fighter, Definitely. a more mature fighter, a professional. Uh, I think, again... Another risk that he's taken to fight Pavekin, knowing that he's the man to do. In the past, we had guys like David Tua. I love David Tua. Great left hook. Oh, my God. What a puncher. And a great human being. Great human being. But when he was the mandatory for Lennox Lewis, he decided to sit and not be active, not continue to play his trade, you know, and wait for that payday, for that, opportunity. And if I remember correctly, it was a $2 million back in those days. The money was different. It was a $2 million payday. And he waited for it. And then when he got in the ring, he probably could have been better. He probably could have been better. The inactivity, mentally, physically, everything that that does to you, it, it, it deteriorates you. It lessens you. So, and then he made a good point during the interview. And that's why I say it was an unbelievable interview. It yeah. was really because he let you know things that a lot of guys don't let you know. He, you know, he talked about recently, he talked about Stavern not too long ago when he had, he was the mandatory for Wilder the second time. He fought Wilder well. He yeah. fought him pretty well the first pretty time. Pretty good fight, yeah. Yeah, went the distance, right? He, uh, did he go the distance the yes. first time? Yes. Hey, he went the distance. I think and it might have been the fight. first time Wilder went the distance, I think. And then he fights him. This, I think you're right. And then he fights him the second time. He's the mandatory, and he just sits. And he, he doesn't fight. And he, he takes maybe one fight that is, you know, let's be honest. It's a, it's a popcorn. It's a popcorn fight, right? Yep. And he, so he, he does, but he doesn't do what White did. He doesn't continue to prepare himself, continue to challenge and better himself. And what happens? He goes in there heavy. He goes in there off a load of inactivity, and he gets starched in one round by oh. you know by by Wild. Yep. So I in this fight, it's an interesting fight. What's it on the zone, Ken? It's on the zone. Uh, yes. Uh, in, yep. It's on the afternoon because it's in London. Yeah, it's in Eddie Hearn's backyard. Oh, he's got a big backyard. So <laughs> you know. I, I, it's probably going to be on early on. I think the time is going to be early. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, afternoon. And by the way, Stavern, he took one fight in between uh, Wilder 1 and 2 against uh, Derek Rossi, journeyman, and got a unanimous decision. But, you know, the, the time off in between, he fought the first fight was in um, January of 2015. The next fight was in November of 2017. There it is. One fight in two and a half years. Well, that you know, to what was you know, to what we're saying. So, um, again, it's an interesting fight. I like Dillian White. Maybe stops him 
seven, eight rounds maybe. But watch those first step. It's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> you know, with a veteran like Pavetkin who's been he's been in with everyone. He's been a world champion. Uh Sometimes they say the older that you keep the wine, the better it becomes. Yep. I don't know if that's the <laughs> case here, but uh, there are certain things. There's certain, obviously, disadvantages to being 40, 41. And one of the advantages is what you've been through, what you've learned, your experience. Uh, you know, that old saying where they used to tell you when you were young, whippersnapper Kenny, and you didn't <laughs> always listen. You know, good kid, but you didn't always listen. When they used to tell you, hey, come on, pay attention, listen to me. If if I only knew now what I knew, if I only knew then what I know now, Ain't how much better I would be. Yep. So uh, that's one thing that Perfectkin has going for him. Uh, it should be an interesting fight. Like I said, I believe that White gets through it. And then that he's, you know, it's going to be interesting what happens next because he'll be the mandatory for, as he's been for, you know, like 25 years, but he'll be the mandatory for the winner of Wilder and Fury. But you already know <laughs> that whoever wins that, that they're not fighting him. They're going to go for Joshua for yeah. more money. They're not yeah. going to fight him. And Fury already said it, I believe. But what that will mean is then they'll be stripped yep. with the WBC and and he will be the full champion. He'd be in Dillian White. Right yeah. now, I believe he's the interim champ. That's right. That's right. And, uh, well, speaking of uh, experience versus the young lion, brings us to the next fight that I want to talk to you about, which is probably on paper, the most anticipated fight of the year, and that's Vasily Lomachenko against Teofimo Lopez, finally happened in October. Um, oh, there's so much to discuss with this one. I'm super excited. What do you think? First of all, what do I think? I'm going to give credit where credit's due. I'm going to try to look at it through an open lens, not just a narrow lens and just the obvious, which is you got to... 22-year-old, 23-year-old getting in there with a veteran 32-year-old. And, you know, you got getting in there with one of the greatest amateurs of all time, being that Lomachenko won two gold medals in two separate Olympics. Uh, one of the quickest guys ever to win uh, a world title after three pro fights. I think he's tied with somebody else for that world record. A guy who's considered by many the pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world by myself. I also think him, Crawford, Canelo's creeped up there too. I give him a lot of credit. I think that guy just got better. But we could look at the obvious there. But I'm going to go outside the obvious and make sure he gets credit the same way as some of the other greats like Tom Brady your boy. Uh, is he still your boy or are you pissed at him? No. Are you pissed? No, he's not my boy anymore. He plays he's for Tampa Bay. No Dead to me. No, that's, he's not yours. Him and Gronk. Yeah, him and Gronk. Yeah, they, See you guys, guys. Don't let the yeah. door hit you in the ass. Yeah, I, I, I understand. <laughs> I understand. So, pretty severe. I get it. So, Tom Brady, with all his greatness, part of his greatness was he was willing to give up part of his money. You have to give him credit for that, Ken, even though he's oh, not there no more. 
He was willing to give up some of his money so they could sign other guys to keep the winning machine going at New England, to win Super Bowls, to have a better chance to win, uh, to enhance his legacy, history, not, not just his pocketbook. Hey, look, we're, we're not going to be doing you know, any uh, charity events for Tom Brady. I get it. But <laughs> still, he took less money in order for the team to benefit, for him to be in better position to win. Thinking of the legacy, thinking of history, all those things, all smart things. And other people have done that. LeBron James did it. Uh, and, and Dwayne Wade. Uh, and I think Chris Botts, I think they all took less money when they had the chance to get together in Miami in the NBA to play with a better chance to win titles. They all took less money. Yep. So, listen, again, we're not having charity events for them. I understand. But they still did that. And part of what we're looking at here that I'm giving credit to Lomachenko is that he took a little less money, he took some less money off the table that was his to make this fight because otherwise Lopez and his father, his people, they, they weren't going to take what was there, 1.2, 1. 1. whatever it was. They wanted closer to 2 million, which they now have. Yep. I'm not going to say exactly what it is because we don't know the exact numbers, but right around that, and Lomachenko took some of his money and allowed it to be given to him. He's still getting real good money, Lomachenko, but he took some of that to give to him to make this fight, which shows me what I talked about Brady, that he wants to be part of big fights. He wants to be part of his legacy. He wants his legacy to be great. He wants to be his history to be great. And he's smart. Yeah, he's smart because... And today, especially now, with everything going on and the COVID and no audiences for the most part right now, with all that, there's going to be an audience in the future that figure out what the, how it's going to be done. But right now, there's, of course, all these events are going on with no audience. How, where was he going to make more money than that? Nowhere. Yeah. He's still, so it was smart. It was still smart. He gets credit that I just gave him, but it's also smart because there was nowhere else that's going to pay him, you know, close to $3 million or whatever, the, the, wherever he is now with it. There's nowhere else going to pay him that, you know, to fight somebody other than here. So it made sense for him to do it anyway. Yeah. And so I give him credit for that. And before I get into the breakdown and the analysis of what's going to happen in that squared circle, I will say this. How do you think, I don't know, they probably don't think about this, but if you talk about what's fair, and you can't get into that because everything changes, and it's, it's continuing, it's like the earth, continues to rotate on an axis. So things change. But if you really think about it, Ken, and just proper simple terms remember when the zone gave mikey garcia seven million dollars to fight vargas and vargas got two million dollars yep. seven million oh my 
Seven million dollars. I know they're going broke. They're going bankrupt. You're not going to see them anymore. Maybe that's why. You know, I don't know. And, and I'm only kidding. I'm 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 half kidding. Uh, they might be having some money issues, maybe. Um, so I'm, I'm half kidding. And everybody's suffering now with the COVID. So it's changed things now. I I, I understand. But just think, back then, they gave seven million dollars to Mikey Garcia to fight Vargas, $2 million, $9 million. And you're going to tell me, if you looked at it, I know it's apples and oranges. I get it. But if you looked at it, really, as apples and apples, you're going to tell me that that's a more attractive fight than Lomachenko and Lopez yeah. getting $2 million and $3 million? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I guess maybe just for a second, Loma and them might say, gee, I wish I was with Eddie Hearn and Zone instead of Bob Arum and, uh, <laughs> and Top Rank. You know, just, and listen, again, <laughs> they're getting paid pretty damn good. They're getting paid pretty damn good. And, and we're going to look forward to this fight. And it, as you said, it's a tremendous fight, the most anticipated fight I could think of right now. Yep. But for one second, I'm sure somebody there, the father of Lopez, the, the father of Lomachenko, who's a brilliant man, must have said, ah, too bad we won with Eddie instead of, uh, you know, over here at that moment. And again, it's a, uh, things rotate. Things are always moving and turning. So you can't necessarily think in those terms. I just figured I'd throw it out there. So... <laughs> Having said that, the fight, well, you got a young 22-year-old kid, or he's 23, I think now, who's undefeated, who believes in himself, who's got a father who pushes him and believes in him. And that means something when you got somebody with that energy really, really feeding that flame of yours. It means something. He's got explosive power. And when I say explosive, I don't mean George Foreman where, you know, he bludgeons, he bludgeons you with the punch. And, and you know, everything shakes up. And it's, it's like getting pounded over the head. Like you got a pillow over your head and somebody's pounding you with a club and everything is echoing and, and, you know, it's shaking everything up. I'm talking about with a guy like Lopez, his explosiveness is part of his quickness too, that he can close a gap in a millisecond on you. Like when they do those commercials for the cars and they say zero to 60 in 1.2, well, he goes from 0 to 120 in like 0.5. I mean, he can close the gap on you, Lopez, and explode a bomb on you before you can blink. You know, Muhammad Ali used to joke and say, I'm so fast that I get in bed and put the lights out before you even know it. <laughs> I, 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 I get in bed, I put the lights out and get in bed. Oh, no, I get out of bed, put the lights out, get back, and you didn't even know. So <laughs> this guy has that kind of impact power where 
his legs are quick, kind of like Pacquiao when he was young. He could close that gap on you fast with power. He explodes on you. He's very dangerous with that right hand. Um, either hand, he can punch, but he, he showed it against Comey winning the title that he closed the gap so fast that Comey didn't even react to it. They hit him with the right hand. I just think that you got the best pound-for-pound fighter in Lomo, technically. Again, you could argue with Crawford, him, whatever flavor you like that day, it's all good. It's all ice cream. You like chocolate, vanilla, sprinkles, a little mix, whatever. And you got Canelo up there too. But I've been with Lomachenko from the beginning. Once he got to that status, uh, I, I was the guy that said, after one pro fight that he should be on the pound-for-pound list at number 10. People wanted to crucify me for saying that. Are you out of your mind? Who the hell? Are you crazy? How are you putting a guy after one pro fight pound-for-pound in the top 10? Well, in his third fight after he won the title, people weren't arguing with me quite as much. I had seen him in the Olympics. I thought I knew what I was looking at. It's going to be... The youth, the confidence, the belief of Lopez against always the confidence and belief of Lomachenko, the mental tightness, togetherness of Lomachenko, what his father formed him into. His father did what Tiger Woods' father did. He took him as a kid, kind of like in a, like, it was like, it was like a laboratory project. I'm not saying it in a bad way. I'm saying it in a good way. He took his kid and said, I'm going to make you the greatest golfer. I'm going to make you mentally ready, technically ready, physically ready for everything in front of you to be the greatest golfer ever. And that's what Lomachenko's father did, if people don't know that. As soon as he got out of the crib, he, he did the same thing. So you got a guy who's been, he was born for this. This has always been his destiny. And... He's the best technical fighter, so it could go one of two ways. A lot of people could see it going where he takes Lopez apart piece by piece. Yeah, he's a puncher. Yeah, he's all the things I said, but he's not ready for this. And he takes him apart piece by piece. You know, he, he doesn't let him use his power. He frustrates him. He, he breaks him down. Uh, he takes him to school, if you will. Or... Or I see possibility where Lomachenko is starting, the shadow is starting to be tossed a little, just a little. Not everyone's going to see it. I think I might see it. At 32, 400 amateur fights later, two Olympic gold medalists, this great fighter, maybe a shadow is starting to be tossed a little bit cast a little bit, where he's starting to go on just to slip a tiny bit, just a, almost where you can't even notice it, but just a tiny, tiny bit. And when that happens, and you're in there with a 23-year-old who believes himself, who's a bigger guy, naturally bigger guy, who's explosive, has power that I always say your, your punches like that are born. They're not made. Where maybe, just maybe, maybe the unthinkable could happen. Where he could be the guy 
to to beat Lomachenko. I see. I, I it was hard for me to even say it. My lips wouldn't even say it. Like, but if it's gonna be, this could be it. This could be the scenario. That's what makes it what you said such an anticipate for me such a wildly anticipated fight that you can make the argument on both sides. You can make you can make a real case like Perry Mason, the lawyer from used to be a pretty good show, where you could make a case for either one. Hey guys, quick pause here. I want to give another shout out to our sponsor today, Athletic Greens. Once again, it's the all-in-one daily drink to support better health and peak performance. Even with a balanced diet, it's difficult to cover all your nutritional bases. That's where Athletic Greens will help. Their daily drink is like nutritional insurance for your body that's delivered straight to your door. Again, can't say enough good things about these guys. You know I take this stuff all the time. Uh, I've been preaching it for a while now. Um, these guys spent 10 years with top nutritionists and doctors to create this formula. It's made from 75 whole food sourced ingredients. It has vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, and antioxidants. It's literally all you need to stay on top of your immunity with 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. No need for multivitamins or whatever else you take in. This has you covered. Uh, when you try Athletic Greens through our podcast, they're going to give you a year supply of vitamin D. Again, super important during COVID. Um, so whether you're looking to boost your energy levels, support your immune system, or address gut health, now's the perfect time to try Athletic Greens for yourself. Check it out at athleticgreens.com. Use the promo code ATLAS, A-T-L-A-S, Athletic Greens slash ATLAS to claim your free year supply of vitamin D. You'll be hard-pressed to find a more comprehensive nutritional offer anywhere else. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash ATLAS. Having said all of that, I, again, I, I just, I think that if you put a gun to my head, it's hard until you know for sure. It's hard to go against the guy that's had the track record that's done what Lomo's done, who has a father, as I said earlier, who's been so smart, the two of them, and have navigated this career so well. Even though he might be a little slippage that most people won't even see, the great ones, when they know that they're in one of those special fights where they're going to need everything, they're going to have to call on everything. They're going to have to call back some of their youth. Just, I mean, I know the guy's not 40. I get it. But they have to call back, for this occasion, a little bit of that youth. They have the ability to do that. They have the ability to – they got a special phone. Like the red phone you got. I know you got a hotline <laughs> to some big people, you know, that it's, that it's in there. They, it's like they got that phone. Hello? Yeah. Uh, get everyone together. <laughs> everyone? Yes. Get everyone. Get everybody together. We need them all. Now we're going to need all of them. One more time. Get, them, get everybody. Make a call. Get everyone together. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Call's going to be made. And, and they, they have a way to rise to the moment to, to 
pull back a little bit. I know nobody beats Father Time. I get it. But just to to kind of just to kind of tell Father Time, wait here for a minute. Wait, wait here just a minute. Don't even take another inch. I know I can't stop you. Eventually you're gonna go where you're gonna go. But right now, right now, I'm gonna get you to stay here. Maybe even take a half an inch back. They have the ability, the special ones, the special ones have the ability to summon it for that night that they have to summon it. And again, I'm not saying that Lomachenko's that far gone or or that um, shop-worn or any of those things that most people say, gee, I see it. I'm just saying that it makes it very interesting because he's getting close to that place and he's going to have to be everything he needs to be on this night because this night is really a night where you can't afford not to be. You can't afford. I know that Loma's better technically than this guy. This guy still has some things to maybe obviously add uh, to his, you know, to his arsenal, so to speak, uh, to his, you know, to his approach uh, as a fighter, as far as the ABCs, the fundamentals. But he's got that. He's got that gift, that that hammer of Thor, where you can't have a margin. There's no margin fairer. And again, it makes... So at the end of the day, if our gun was put to my head, I can't go against Lomachenko. I, 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 I can't. But I can see the possibility of the danger in this fight. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty good summation, and uh, I think I agree with you on most points. Hey, one thing I meant to talk to you about about with regards to recent fights when we touched on the Benavides fight was the um, there was another fight on last night that I know you had a chance uh, on Saturday that you also had a chance to watch. It was uh, Rolando Roli Romero against Jackson Marinez, and uh, just another example of absolute horrible robbery of a uh, underdog fighter. I mean, the judges had it for uh, Romero, 115-113, 116-112, 118-110. I think most people had it 118-110 in favor of Marinez. And, uh, I mean, it was universal shock on Twitter and other social media forums after the fight. But uh, I know you had a chance to watch the fight and wanted to get your thoughts there. You got to aggravate me in the middle of the day, Ken. (laughs) Really, I told you, my friend, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. Yeah, you got to give me, like the old timers would say, you got to give me Ajita. You got to give me Ajita now. Really? Really? I was talking about the Lomachenko-Lopez, a great fight coming up, something to be excited about. And you had to give me Ajita. You had to bring this up. Listen, the guy that had it 118-110, I hope he's in jail. Is he in jail? Is he, he in jail? Be. He should be. This, uh, what I'm about to say, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm going to say it. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say, unfortunately, this sport continues to give me a reason, this business, because it's got nothing to do with the fighters. It's got to do with the people running the business. The sport is 
great. The fighters are great. The people running it, they suck. And um, to the most part, to a, to a greater extent than it should be. And I hate to have to say this about my sport that I love. But I only say it because I continue to be put in a position if I'm going to tell the truth and try to change things, which seems like it's never going to change anyway. Um, you know, what's the definition of insanity? Continue to, to try to do the same thing, expecting a different outcome? Well, I'm insane then. I am. I'm guilty. Take me, get, bring the white jackets in, wrap them around me, and take me to the rubber room. Because... I've, I'm insane because I continue to wish that this sport could change, that it could be the what I don't. It could stop being tainted by the word I'm trying not to use, but I'm forced again to use. And one of one of the reasons why certain people out there maybe don't want me on the airwaves, quite frankly. And it's the truth. And I say it to try to help the sport, the fans, the fighters. I'm, I'm not a knight on, in, in, uh, on a horse in armor. I'm not a, uh, on a white horse. I know I'm not. But I'm in a position where I always felt that I had the medium, I had the platform, the ability to do more than collect a paycheck to be able to hopefully help the sport, to, to give back a little bit, just a little bit, because I was in a position that I could make a choice like I talk about people all the time. You can make a choice. You could just continue. My back is starting to hurt just thinking about what I'm thinking about because it starts to make my back hurt and my head hurt. So you could continue just doing what's convenient, Nothing wrong with that. Continue to take care of your family. You're supposed to. Continue to just get your paycheck. Continue to just walk down the road and feel bad about something. But what can you do? And I just felt, again, I'm no hero. I'm far from that. The heroes in our world are the first responders, the armed service men and women, those special, special, special people that we have all around us that sometimes we forget how special they are. They're the heroes. I'm just saying that this sport is so special. It saves people. It takes people that are on a track to go in, to have no life, that the sport saves them, saves them from jail, from prison, saves them from, from poverty. It saves them from, it, it educates them, it builds them up. It gives them a chance to find themselves, to get in the right place, to give confidence that they needed, to give direction they needed, to, to care about themselves, to know they could depend on themselves, to be in position to make society better instead of a burden on society. This sport does that for people. This sport is special. It really is. But then you got these people that corrupt the sport. That's the word. That's why you're not gonna see me in certain places. 
because there's people that don't want that word put out there because they're afraid that the executives, the advertisers will get scared off. Yeah. Yeah. And they should be scared off. And I wish the, I wish the word wasn't there to be said, but these people never think of getting rid of the word. They just think of keeping it quiet, just, just muting it, but you can't mute it because it time and time again is right there. And you don't think these fans notice it? You idiot executives, you morons, you don't think they notice it? I don't do email. I, I, Rob and my daughter got me on, on, on Twitter, 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 whatever it's called, and, and on uh, Instagram, and they do it for me. And we have, we're blessed because of you fans, we have 112,000 subscribers on this podcast and something like 16 million views. I, I, I thank all of you. I love you all. But every once in a while, I look at some of these comments, not too often, but every once in a while, like the other day after this fight. And you know how many of the fans, the good people that make it possible for these executives to put boxing on, for these promoters to make money, for these networks to have, to have this content. You know what they say? You know what I read? And I stopped reading it after about a hundred of them. We're leaving the sport. This is why we're not staying in boxing. We love the sport. We love it. But we have to leave, Teddy. We'll leave because of the corruption. So instead of ignoring it, why don't somebody do something about it? How many times have I said this? Why don't you people out there call yourself the same ones that wrote, I'm leaving this book. Don't be a quitter. I get it. I understand. I feel it. I've been fighting it. I've been hit over the head because of the fight. Yeah. I, you know I'm trying to fight the fight. At least that I'm not just taking a paycheck. I'm, I'm trying to fight the fight. Again, I'm no hero, but I'm, I'm trying to do the, what I can. But we all need to do something. Instead of saying I'm leaving a sport I love, Instead of saying, I quit, that's enough. I give up. It's a corrupt sport. Well, we got to get together. Why don't we fight? The, call your assemblymen. Call your congressmen. These commissions that allow these people to be judges, instead of suspending them, instead of sitting them on the sidelines after decisions like that, they put them right back in the rotation, allow them to do it again the week after. Why don't... Why don't you say, hey, my tax dollar pays for these commissions. I want it to be used better. I, I, want, I want a better commission. I want somebody who can get rid of these judges. Make them accountable. Stop this corruption. Stop it. It, it, it was a corrupt decision. You have, and, and it breaks your heart because you had a Dominican kid there that's got three kids, I think, He's, he's, he's trying to live the American dream. He comes in there with an undefeated, he's undefeated, he comes in there with an undefeated fight, fighter who's the favorite, and he fights his backside off to give better for his family. He says, tonight's my night. Tells his family, watch, I'm going to go out there. I've been working my whole life, like the other guy, to get here. 
and I'm going to do it. And he did it. He did it. Except he didn't. Because corrupt part of the business said, we're not letting you do it. Why? It's always the same reason, Ken. Because the other guy's with the power. The other guy can make more money. Kid that can't speak English, he's not going to be made into a star in their mind. The other guy, supposed to be the better puncher, I guess he is. They can make him into the star. He speaks English, they can make him into the star. And he's with the connections. He's with the power. And whoever's with the power, guess what? I ain't telling no secrets, I don't think. If I am, you guys better wake up. The judges know who's with the power. <coughs> they get the memo. They know. They know who better get the decision if they're going to continue working. Yeah. It's disgraceful. It's disgraceful. And you know what? I sent a tweet out that night because I felt I try to give people their due when they deserve it. I really do. I really do. People, oh, you're a hard back, uh, you know, the word, uh, I don't like to curse on our show, but you're hard, you're hard, you're, 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 you're always hard. I don't know, maybe sometimes, but when I think I should give somebody their due, I think I do, I try to, I care about that. So I sent out a tweet. I sent out a tweet, I sent it to Rob, Rob sends it, you know, to some kind of special tower somewhere in the Himalayas that, you know, takes this stuff. That's how it works, right? Because, you know, I, I, he, he sends it out, goes to some guy in the Himalayas that, that's standing out there with one of those, you know, ra ra those things that collect it, right? And it, it takes it in, and then he sends the tweet out. It's amazing. It's an amazing process. I don't know much about it. But I sent the tweet out, and I said, hey, Finally, a network gives us, it's their first show back showtime since the COVID, and you're finally getting a network that's not giving us crap. They're giving us talent, two talented guys, that's number one, not just competitive, Both undefeated with talent, top talent. You're giving two talented guys evenly matched, fairly matched in a competitive fight that's meaningful 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 for the for the number one slot you know whatever they decide to call for but meaningful gonna impact their lives so you got talent you got competitiveness you got importance yeah and i sent the tweet i said finally you got a network that got it right that gives you a fight that you don't know who's gonna win <laughs> a fight where we were watching too many of those fights, Ken, where you know who's going to win. Only one side can win. But you know where I was wrong, Ken, with my tweet? I was right up to the point of you didn't know who would win. Because at the end of the day, you yeah. did know who was going to win. <laughs> you did know. You did know that the scorecard was made ahead of time. You did know that the guy that they wanted to win, that the powers that be that wanted to win was going to win. You did know that. Stupid yeah. me. Stupid me. Stupid me. For a minute there, I forgot. Yeah, of course you knew who was going to win. 
the guy that they wanted to win, that they ordained to win in their ivy towers. How dare they? How dare they take away from a man who goes in the ring for his family, for himself, that risks everything? How dare they take away what he earned in that ring? How dare they? Who are they to do that? They're not gods. Who are they to do that? Who are they? It's just, it just, it sickens me as much as it did the first time I was aware of it many, 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 many years ago. And it sickens me the same now. It frustrates me that at the end of the day, everybody will forget about it. And it'll just, until the next victim, until the next kid, you know. I remember, I don't even remember his name. You know, we talk about the truth here, right? Uh, so I'm going to be truthful. Uh, I, I shouldn't have to say that. You're supposed to be that. I know. But nowadays, I don't know. Um, so I'm going to tell you, I don't even remember the kid's name. Damn shame. But it was about 20 years ago, I'm doing Friday Night Fights. It's a world title fight. And this kid, on that given night, everything, he was ready. Ken, he was ready. And he fought the champion, a bigger name, the guy that was with the power. And he beat him every which way to Sunday. And he won. He won. He was the champion. And he knew it. He knew it. You know, when the last bell rang, just like the kid Marina's, uh, Marinez. Just like he knew it. He knew it. He knew it. He knew it. But this kid knew it. He knew it. And he finally did it. All those missed proms and, and all those five in the morning running since he was a little kid, the missed times that he could have been out with his friends, all of that, all of that sacrifice finally was going to pay off. Champion of the world. Up until the judges, the crooked, corrupt judges, decided to say no. No. No, we don't care what you did. We only care about what we're going to do and what we need to do for our own self and our own purposes. We don't give a crap about how much you sacrificed and bled and cried and sweated to get here. We don't care. We dismiss all that. You, you little, you little peasant. We don't care. That's not important to us. And they took it away from him. I don't even remember his freaking name. And I remember that night. And I. I went into a tirade like I am now because I felt that's all I could do. And I felt that he, he at least deserved that. He deserved more than that, but he at least deserved that. And I said, you know what? This kid thinks, I hope I'm wrong, but things will never line up the way they did to be as prepared as he was on this night. This was his night. And everything lined up. He was in great shape, everything, everything lined up, perfect. 
And now he's got to go back of the line and face thousands of more punches and fighters to get back to where he already was. And he, he'll probably never get back there. And he never did. That's why I don't know his name. He never did. And it makes me want to cry. Because it's wrong. It's wrong. And I love this sport. And I think it's the greatest sport in the world. But the people that have hijacked it, these, these, these administrators of the sport, have, uh, have chased fans. They continue to chase fans. But even more than chasing fans, and I don't want fans. I love your fans. I don't want you chased. But even more than that, they've destroyed lives. They've, they've taken dreams and smashed them, spit on them, dismissed them. I'm just tired, that's all. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for going on, but I'm just tired. And uh, anyway, that, that kid did everything that night except get the justice that he deserved. He, he landed lead right hands all night long. He saw an opening for it, so he landed them. He, he threw combinations uh, to Romero's single punches for the most part. He out-hustled them. He outworked them. He beat them to the punch. He, he, I mean, he did everything he supposed to do against a good fighter, a guy that could punch, a guy that was a good amateur, all that stuff. And, um, and he did it all night. He did it all night. And look what they did to him. Well, the kid Romero, um, who got the victory, said he didn't see a need for a rematch, but I think the uh, governing body, I think it was the WBA, already said that they're looking into giving him an immediate rematch, which would be the least that they can do. But um, They're forced but, to do it. This exactly. is old routine. This is, you know, the, there used to be a show. Uh, I think it was like a, gang of young kids that had their own little crew and it was the east boy the east side boys or the 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 bowery boys it was a great show i and they used to they used to be together and then when they get into a situation where they did a little bit of mischief <laughs> you know they were kids they do a little mischief they want to get out of it they say routine three <laughs> <laughs> hey routine three you know, that's they've been doing routine three, the freaking these organizations, since they started in this business. Routine, you, you get caught, you get caught where everybody starts to come down on you and say, oh, that was horrible. Like Teddy Atlas, routine three. Okay, gotcha. Uh, we're going to have a rematch. <laughs> and then the same thing happened. Yeah. <laughs> routine three. Everybody get off our backs. Everyone to get off our backs. Leave us alone. Routine three, guys. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Rematch. And it's the same thing. And, and, and the kid won't even be as good. Maybe he'll be better. Maybe he'll be better. But chances are that was his night. That was his night. Why should it be taken away from him? Yep. Well... 
Last thing I want to talk to you about before we sign off today is uh, a heavyweight fight announced. Andy Ruiz going to fight um, Chris Ariola uh, for Andy Ruiz comeback fight after his loss with Anthony Joshua. Um, Dillian White had a lot of interesting thoughts on this, but uh, what do you yes, what do you what do you what's your quick reaction? All right, Ken, I'm going to qualify what I'm going to say with this preemptive. Uh, Quick statement. A lot of people, I know there's haters out there. I know there's people out there that are a little honorary. And, and, and listen, and not only that, maybe I'm wrong. Let me back up. I got wheels on this chair, Ken, if I didn't tell you already. I'm going to back up, see? All right. Let me back up. Some people, and I, I, I get it. I'm going to say maybe what I'm about to say. Oh, maybe it's because you have a little sour taste because Ruiz had talked about possibly hiring you, coming to you as a trainer. Uh, and maybe maybe even more so. Maybe if you were in that position, you wouldn't be saying anything about what I'm about to say. I'm going to tell you I would have, I hope, because I hope my track record as a human being has been consistent and good enough. I hope. I'm, I'm no perfect. I'm far from, oh my God, I shouldn't even use that word. But I try to be as best a person as I can and a father and example to my kids and my grandchildren. Um, I care about it. I make mistakes. I've made more mistakes than most people in two lifetimes. But I try to correct those mistakes and I try to be better every day. And I, I would hope that what I'm about to say, that people would understand that throughout my career, I've been tested enough where I've been in positions to say things where maybe people could point a finger and say, like with Tyson or something like that, well, because of the past, you know, he's got that attitude against him, that negativity, that I would hope that people through what I've done over the course of my career would believe that I might feel that. I'm human. I'm going to acknowledge that. I have feelings of things that people have done wrong that I don't like. I'm the first one to tell you that. But when it comes to doing I care about doing what I would want my kids to do, to make the choice based on what they believe to be truth rather than feelings and emotion, rather than anger or hatred. I would, I would hope I've tried to be that. I know that there's been times when I was on ESPN when Kevin Rooney we used to be friends. We grew up together. And then he took over for me with Tyson. I wasn't in love with what he did. But when he fought on Friday night fights with his fighter, I made sure I gave him credit for what he deserved credit for. I did not let those thoughts and actions interfere with what I was going to say because I wanted to be trusted. I wanted to have the right to be trusted. You only get one shot at your reputation, not two. 
And I care about that. And I care about it then. And I care about it now. So what I'm going to say, I'm scared. I'm worried. And yeah, they came to me about the possibility of training them. And yeah, this opponent, Chris Ariola, was out there in the air as a possibility for his comeback fight. And I see the business side of it. You come back with a guy that you can look really good with. Like, everything changed. With a new trainer, everything. You lost weight. I'm sure the Ruiz lost weight. He's with a really good trainer now. With um, Canelo's trainer. Reynoso. Um, Eddie Reynoso. Yeah, really good trainer. So, and you look good. And you get people energized. You get his base energized. Coming off of the, you know, when he lost the title. I understand that. And again, I understand that people say, well, if you were there, Teddy, what? I'm just... Um, I feel the way, whether I was there or where I am right now. I think that Chris Ariola should not be fighting anymore. I'm, I'm just saying. I, this is a kid, and again, I, I, really, I really like Chris Ariola more than any of you people out there are going to ever know. Um, I respect him. I admire him as a father, as a person as a, the way he raised his family as uh, as a as a man uh the way he's conducted himself in the ring all the great fights he's given us uh the way he always knew how to behave like a fighter and beyond like a warrior he gets hit too much back then he's been getting hit too much now he's older much older the body the head can only take so much um, I don't, I just, I'm, I just don't think he should be fighting. And, um, I really don't. And again, a lot of people, that's one of the reasons you're not going to see me in certain places, guys. You're not. It's okay. It's part of the, hey, it's part of the deal. If you're going to put yourself out there and say what you believe, you know what? Uh, there's, certain things that come back to you in a certain way that people will appreciate and there's certain things that go south because they don't appreciate it. I, I, I understand that. I, I get it. I do. But I just had to say, in, in all conscience, good conscience, I could not let not answer this question the way I felt I needed to answer it. To, to not just ignore it. I think that, again, I understand they're going to come back with a bang. They're going to come back. I have no doubt they're going to stop Chris Ariola, but I also have no doubt that Chris, with all his heart, he's got too much heart. Now, Teddy, what do you mean? Nobody's got too much heart. But it gets in my business to a point where you have that kind of heart, somebody else has to look out for you because you have too much heart. Because you're not going to... You're not going to pull the plug on yourself. You're not going to look out for yourself because you got too much heart. Because it's against your code. You don't allow yourself to go down that road, to even think that way. He's a warrior, this kid. He, for everything he's given us, all the great fights, he deserves to be given something right now. Consideration, protection, care. 
I don't think he should be getting in that ring with Ruiz. I think it's a dangerous fight for him. I don't think he should be fighting anymore. Um, I know this is ridiculous what I'm going to say because a lot of people say, ah, it's, it's BS. But I wish I was, a, I wish I was, I wish I had a lot of money. <laughs> I wish I, I joke with you with the Ferraris and all that stuff, you know, but being serious, I, I wish I had so much money that, that I could just write a big check to Chris Ariola and say, here, only one condition, don't fight no more. But um, I can't. And uh, I just, I think that Dan White, you watch this interview, he's going to talk about it. Um, but I think that Ruiz is a good fighter. He did an extraordinary thing. He won the world title after being on the floor. He got off the floor on quick notice. He won the world title. Uh, he's in the record books. He blew it the second time. I, I get it. He's trying to come back. Uh, I think he's got a good chance to come back. I think that he's a kid that has talent. He's a fighter. He behaves like a fighter. Obviously, he's got some stuff going on, issues with things and personally with discipline and stuff. But, uh, you know, we'll see what he does. And, and again, I, I think he's a good enough kid, Ruiz. I do. And, and I admire him as a fighter. But I think there's other guys he could fight coming back. I think there's other guys he could fight that, that are less dangerous to the fighter that he's fighting his own health. And I'm talking about Ariola. I think he can pick other guys that, A, uh, deserve to get this chance, you know, also. Uh, guys that can, that aren't as used up as Ariola. And guys, I think he's a good enough fighter, even with a year off, whatever it's been, a good enough fighter to come back and fight somebody else. It doesn't have to be a Chris Ariola, where it could be more competitive, where it's still, I get the business side that you can't be stupid and, and there's always a risk and you can blow the, the title rematch. I get it. I get it. But also, there's a responsibility to get something out of this comeback fight. And I think there's guys they could get more out of where it would make more sense where the fans would get more out of it, he'll get more out of it, he'll, he'll improve Kind of like Dillian White. Dillian White's been a mandatory forever, Ken. And, and he could have took these easy fights or he could have took no fights. But he didn't. He took fights that there was risk. And now I know there was a risk he could have lost. He didn't lose. He bet on himself and he won. And he's a better fighter for it. He's in a better position now than he would have been because of the choices he made because of the guys he fought, that he beat, and they made, he got something out of it. He ain't getting nothing out of a fight with Ariola, except that they're going to get what they want as far as saying, oh, we came back, we're great, look at us, everything's, you know, everything's terrific, everything's honky-dory, but it's a bit of a lie, because they know that Ariola's a guy that's seen as way beyond his best days. The body 
can only take so much in a brutal, tough business like this. There's only so many punches that can be clicked on that body. There's a clicker, and that clicker is full. It has been full. And I just, again, I just care enough about Chris. I admire him enough. He'll probably be mad. Can't control that. But uh, I don't want to take money away from him. No, I don't want to do that. But I don't want to take his life away from him either. That's more important than money. So I said what I felt I needed to say. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask you one more thing. Back to the uh, Cormier-Miocic fight. And um, can you just talk to the fans a little bit about what happens when so uh, Cormier gets poked in his left eye? What does he now become susceptible to with that limited vision there or possibly no vision at all in the left eye? Maybe talk to about what kind of punches he's really exposed to. Well, he's exposed to the right right hand because it's on that side. It's on the opposite, you know, it's on the same side. It's on the side of the left eye. And um, so he's, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because in the end, it, I guess it didn't matter. But during the course of the fight, as I was watching it, getting ready to comment on it, like, you know, we are now, I remember making a note. I wrote, you know, I, I bring paper with me. So I made a real quick note. I said, not taking advantage enough. Miocic. How do you say him again? Miocic. Yeah. Can you imagine? You're my grammar teacher. (laughs) Imagine that. A a guy who speaks like Orson Welles. I need need a guy from Boston to be my... (laughs) Wow. But But I appreciate you, Ken. So... And again, we don't hide anything here. I hope, you yeah. know, that, that counts for something. So anyway, I remember making a note saying that Miocic was not taking enough advantage of the, you know, of the injury, of the opportunity that's there. Because life's about taking opportunity, taking advantage of opportunity. I mean, it's, it's always about that. You know, and look, it's misfortunate that this great fighter got poked tonight, but it happens. So at that moment, later on, you could hug him, kiss him. But at that moment, it's about winning. And if it gives you a better chance to win, take advantage of it. So fighters do it all the time. A guy's cut, you know, the blood's going down on that side of the eye. They're going to go on that side with the attack a little more because they know the vision blurred. They're impaired there. They know they have difficulty seeing over there. So they're going to take advantage of it. And I I made a note, like, Miocic is not pushing the envelope enough, if you will, taking enough advantage of that, that opportunity with obviously impaired vision there. And obviously he didn't know that he was blind, but he knew he was injured. He knew something was impacted. And when he threw the right hand, he landed it much easier. So it should have clicked in his head, hey, yeah, there's something wrong here. I'm landing this a little easier than I should be. And he should have went to it a little more, a little more, without without getting ridiculous where maybe you go to it and then the guy times you because you're going too much. But it should have pushed the envelope a little bit. And I remember thinking that. At the end, it didn't matter. 
because he won the fight. He got the fight. But definitely to your question, the answer is, yeah, you, you can't pick up that punch on that side. And um, what you can, what I would tell a fighter, once you think you have that advantage, you know, you think you have it, I would say, get the good eye to travel over here. Get, take the good eye completely out of the picture, completely, you know, out of play, where you basically, I know this is going to sound terrible, but it's fighting and you do what you got to do at that moment. You, you didn't cheat. You didn't go in there and hit him with a bat. You know, it's part of the circumstances in the realm of, of this tough business, right? So, and, and to the credit of Miocic, he got poked earlier. You know, right. it wasn't as bad, but it could have been. He, mm-hmm. You know, so what I would tell a fighter is, you know that he's, he's been compromised over here with his left eye, you know, so he's going to have trouble seeing this. So I would tell him, we're going to make him blind. Yeah, I know, again, it sounds awful, but we're, we're basically for one moment going to make him blind. We're going to take the good eye, which might pick up some of this. We're going to take it completely away. We're going to distract him with a left hand over here as a decoy just to get his eye, his good eye here. Boom! And then throw the right hand over there and literally, literally catch him blind. That, that's, and that's what you're dealing with. And having said all that, that's why I'll say it again to the UFC people out there and the MMA world. That's why these guys are so damn special and they deserve everything they can get. Um, and the fighters too, the boxers too. I always say that because of what they risk. Yeah. And and here's a guy, Cormier, if you needed any more proof before he ends his career, his great career, how special he is and where his place has been earned to be in his business, all you had to do was see the way he behaved with one eye. Yep. Extraordinary. To say the least. It made me think a little bit in my business way back in the 40s, uh, Ken. Uh, I, you know what? Rob's going to get this up for me. I know. Because I count on my man. I call my man. My man always comes through for me. I come through for him too. But he always comes through for me. And for you. Carmen Basilio, one of the toughest guys in, in any kind of fight business. He was a, you know, former welterweight champ of the world. Carmen Basilio was fighting arguably the greatest fighter of all time. And we're talking about boxing with a history of goes back maybe 2,500 years, back to the early Olympics, uh, back to the, when the, the Greeks uh, uh, had boxing. Uh, it goes back that far. Uh, there's no sport, baseball, nothing that's been around longer than boxing. And Sugar Ray Robinson had almost 200 fights. A lot of people consider him the greatest fighter of all time. Basilio was fighting him in a rematch. He beat him the first time. When You never beat Robinson twice. The good news when you beat Robinson was that you beat him. The bad news 
when you fought him again, you had no shot. That was the bad news. Automatically. Good news, you won. Congratulations, kid. Here's the bad news. You got to fight him again. Hush. <laughs> you didn't beat him. You didn't beat him. Yeah. And so Basilio's fighting him in a rematch. And I call it the Cyclops fight. You know what a Cyclops. And, and Rob's yeah. going to get both these things up. He's going to get the Cyclops because there's people out there like Cyclops. They want to see, I don't know. They, I heard they like Cyclops. But a picture of Basilio in this fight after this fight. Basilio's one eye is gone. Just gone. Closed completely. Like, and he's like a Cyclops. And he's fighting the great Sugar Ray Robinson, you know, throughout whatever part of the fight like that. And he goes the distance and he loses the decision to him. And to show you the mentality of these men, of these people, just like the UFC guys, special is special, whether it's 1940 or it's 2020. And it's always appreciated. And I'll always applaud it whenever I can and bring light to it whenever I can to people like that. After the fight, the journalists went up to Basilio and they said, Carmen, don't you believe that if you had, if your eye wasn't closed the way it was, that you would have had a better chance maybe of winning this fight, that maybe you would have won this fight? And guys that go through what Basilio went through, just like guys like Cormier, they don't allow any excuses to even permeate, to leak. They don't allow leakage. No leakage. None. Not even a drop. What does he say to this journalist? He says, what are you talking about? I had My other eye was good. <laughs> <laughs> my other eye was good. What are you talking about? There's nothing wrong with the other one. That's the attitude. That's the specialness. That's the warrior. That, that's the gladiator. That's the samurai. That's the Viking. And, you know, so I, I just wanted to I just say that, again, Cormier, uh, Dana White, your crew over there, UFC, MMA, all of you, uh, you guys do it the right way. You... Um, you go out there and you behave the way warriors, people in your business are expected and hoped to behave like, and you do. And um, hopefully his vision will come back. I know that, I know it was reported, Ken, that he had a torn cornea, cornea. I, yeah. I, I believe. That's right. I don't, so hopefully that's been repaired and, you know, Hopefully he will. Uh, he will be good. Yep. Well, anyway, that was a uh, that was a long one, but a fun one. Thanks for taking the time, Teddy. Appreciate it as always. And uh, guys, if you like the show, please take a second to leave us a review on uh, Apple iTunes. Leave some comments in the YouTube section. Subscribe to the show. We appreciate all the sp support, and uh, we'll be back with you uh, shortly. Thanks, Teddy. Thank you.